Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, April 2nd, 2014. That's right, we are back with another interview. I'm going to be talking to somebody that has a Kickstarter coming up here in the month of April, not right around the corner or already uh, launched like uh, we do a lot of, but somebody's still got a little bit of prep time and uh, is looking to launch a Kickstarter here in the very near future. So who is joining me on Google Hangout today? Hey guys, this is Chevy Dodd from ChevyDodd.com. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sound so excited about it. <laughs> like, I always hate, I hate plugging myself. I have nothing to plug. Like I'm, I, I'm from. I own, I own a website. Yeah, I have a, I have a website. Although I gotta say, I, I've known Chevy for quite a long time, and that's pretty much how he approaches a lot of his stuff initially. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of sucks. I gotta make it better, even though everybody else around him is enjoying the hell out of whatever he's doing. <laughs> mm, that's, that's what I've been told. <laughs> this is not the first time that you've been with me on All Us Geeks, though. No, this is, I think this is like, I don't know, third time now or I something. I believe like technically that? it's a third time. Cause let's see, we did the, uh, Scallywags giveaway, right? Right. And so you came on to help me intro that real briefly. Yep. And then we had a conversation. You were one of the uh, many interviews I did at Protospiel in yep. 2013. Yeah, last, last spring. Yeah, so we, t we talked then, but this is your first official, uh, uh, wait, wait, hold on. You're missing what? Gen Con. We talked at Gen Con. We did talk at Gen so this Con. Is, this is number four. That's actually. right. You were part of the rapid fire interviews at Gen Con too. That's right. I was. So there you go. Yeah. So this is, this will be four. I'm a friend of all us geeks. You are a friend of all us geeks. This will be your first official full-blown interview, though. Can you stand talking to me for this long is the big question. I like to talk. <laughs> well, that's that's true. But I, you for, you missed the part about to me. Oh, no. You're, yeah. No, I like talking shit. <laughs> I always do. Your voice, like, your voice is, like, so, like, it's just calming. <laughs> oh, so you're saying uh, I'm what people put in before they go to bed at night? No, no. To help you sleep. Great, is that no, what I'm you hearing? Have, you have great range because you have that movie guy intro voice and then and you have just that nice, nice radio voice. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit deeper right now because I'm still getting over being sick, as you're well aware, because we did yeah. have to reschedule once because I had no voice when I was supposed to talk to you the first time. Yeah. No, I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. I'm getting there. So, you know what? Since this is your first uh, official full-blown interview on the game of crowdfunding side of things, we have to do our warm-up questions. Okay. All right. Chevy, what makes you a geek, sir? So the classic definition of a geek would be somebody who has a lot of energy about something in particular. Would that be the way you would describe a geek? And <laughs> my particular geekdom stems from, I think it was ego when I was younger. Like I wanted to be smarter than my friends. And so playing games was a way for me to prove that. And that's just being me being honest. Uh, now that I'm older, it's I geek about just spending that social time with my friends and uh, finding new and exciting games to explore. Okay. And and when you're not designing like a thousand games, <laughs> yeah. So, what do you do for a living, sir? So the other one day a week? Yeah, exactly. I'm an IT guy. What? Isn't that the standard answer on your show? <laughs> Pretty much. It's getting there. Like every single interview I've listened to, I'm an IT guy. I'm an I, IT. I think it's at the point where I just don't, I uh, don't uh, air the answer unless it's something different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do IT work for uh, the State Board of Education. So I actually go to schools and fix computers. I manage networks, <laughs> program program network equipment, you know. There you go. Have you heard my statistics or, you know, my, my makeshift statistics on the answers we get? It's typically IT or teacher slash something to do with school. And I think you're the second or third person that's like a crossover between the two. I do it both. That's right. <laughs> so wait, way to keep that going. Way to keep, way to keep those statistics alive, Chevy. Hey, you know, I think, uh, you know, in my experience in this industry, there's a lot of both of those sides also. You know, a lot of people I meet, it's, hey, I'm an IT guy or I'm a teacher. So I don't know. I think there's something about that. We'll have to figure that out. All right. So one of the other questions that I uh, tend to ask is, 
you have your geek passions that everybody uh, accepts as geeky or thinks of as geeky, but do you have anything that you're really passionate about to a geek level that the majority of people would not consider a geek-related passion? Woodworking. This is true. Does that count? That does count, sir. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, most people would consider that not really geek-related, but I do know you, yeah, you do have a passion for woodworking, don't you? In fact, that's going to come into play a little bit in your Kickstarter, I believe. Yeah, actually it is. Uh, I I just love to make things, so woodworking is an extension of that. And and I've probably, game design is probably actually an extension of woodworking. When I was a child, my dad was a carpenter. He put himself to college as a carpenter and he taught auto mechanics. So I learned all of the skills of building houses and fixing cars as a child. So building things has always been my passion. And so game design, I get to have that brain flex, you know, but I also get to make something physical, like prototypes. I get to cut things, build things. Can we also say that you have a geek level passion for that fedora, sir? Well, yeah, hats. I, yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, come on, fedoras are, I, I don't know, you're, it's pretty geeky, isn't it? I didn't realize, I met a guy a couple of years ago, who I re-met, and I had my hat on, this guy comes up to me, he's like, hey, Chevy, and I'm like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and he's like, I, he's like, I haven't seen you since middle school, but I recognized you because of the hat. So it's been since middle school, so. Uh, Apparently, like, I stopped and thought about it, like, I completely forgot that I had a fedora in middle school. <laughs> And I'm like, you're right. I, I did. So, and I, I quit wearing them for a while and then I, they came back. So, yeah. So we're going to like, uh, get a nice little team together, right? We're going to get you, Jason Glover. We'll get Tom Rell, Aaron involved and, and you guys will be like the hat squad designing team, game designer. Nice hat. We got to get Mark in there too, Mark. Maybe. Oh yeah, that's right. Mark likes to wear it. Yeah. And I think, I think that Chris, uh, Chris said he was going to go buy like a, like a beanie or something that he could wear. Because he wants to be lumped into the hat guys. Yeah, Chris but. just wants to be in, be liked and be part of the cool kids. Yeah. <laughs> he tries. He tries. We yeah. tolerate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, if you, if you haven't noticed already, Chevy and I have known each other for quite a while now. Uh, and, uh, again, another alum of the game crafter and hangs out quite a bit in the game crafter chat. So we get to talk sure. over there quite a bit. Chevy is most infamously known for being upset where he is in the queue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I use the game character a lot for prototyping. So, And it's always one of those things like, you know, from personal experience that I design a game and then five minutes later I change it. And (laughs) and so I order something and then it's like I'm dying to change it, but I can't because I just ordered it. I can't now, I you know, I have to wait. I can't make changes. Because that would just be like, why did I spend all this money? So I've done that several times myself. Where I, like I early on, I'd get my I'd get my game, and I'd like already have my next iteration, or at least the pieces I need for the next iteration before it even got here. And I'd go ahead and play it because, like you said, hey, I put the money down for it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you kind of touched on it a bit. But let's uh, let's explore from Chevy Dodd's perspective. Was there a turning point that you can kind of think of, or, or can you look at a, a spot in your life where you wanted to go from designing games is fun and a cool little hobby to actually wanting to sit, like be published and and actually uh, have games out there in a professional setting? I actually wanted to be published before I ever designed my first game. I mean, I say that that's. <sighs> I mean, that's mostly true. You know, I'm sure that I designed, I designed some role playing games and stuff when I was a kid and everything, but Gen Con 97, I was working for United States playing cards. We had a booth directly across from James Ernest and, uh, nobody had heard of this guy. And he shows up to Origins and has this briefcase with some white envelopes in it and pulls out some games and sells out of everything like immediately. And, uh, I was like, man, that guy's over there making these silly little games on printed colored cardboard. <laughs> and people are throwing money at him. Like, I can do that, you know? And it was just this desire. I was, I was 18 at the time. So it was like this desire to just be something bigger. Everybody has a desire to be something bigger. And I thought, that's an, that's an easy out. I can go crack out a game real quick and get published. And so I did that. And, uh, I spent a few years trying to get this one particular design published and I got really jaded by that process, you know, and uh, I just kind of quit. And so I took like a 10 year break. 
<laughs> and well, that's a, that that's long. a serious break. <laughs> Maybe not that long. Like, no, I, I designed a crap load of games in those 10 years, but I just didn't, I never did anything with them beyond playing with my friends. At some point, I discovered that print and play was kind of a thing. And so I made a print and play game and I put it on the Game Crafter and everything. And it got pretty successful in the print and play community. And people were like, you need to get this published. And so I finally just kind of caved in the community and went for it. Would that be what eventually was Scallywags? Yes. Right. Scallywags was print and play at first. That's right. You, uh, we, we were having that conversation re- recently. I remember being a part of where typically if it's a Chevy Dodd game, you can get it somewhere for free. Yep. Uh, and then you had to pull the print and play for a while when it was, when it went to game right. Yes. They made me take it down. It was part. And you know, I almost turned the contract down because of that. People kind of laugh at me about that. Like you'd be an idiot if you did that. And I'm like, would I? Because to me, I gave up my creative rights and that's all I'm in this for. I don't. The rest is just, I don't know. I don't know what the rest is. But, you know, ultimately I decided because of the coins, it is a difficult game to print and play. And it was better to let more people enjoy the game than to ask a bunch of people to make a bunch of components they don't want to make. So if I'm following this well, you had the the print and play that had some success behind it. And then uh, eventually it got published. How long between between the that between people being able to have the print and play and it getting a little bit maybe a little word of mouth from that way to eventually finding its way to game right and was game right the first place you you looked at yes game right was the only publisher i picked out i actually did quite a bit of research before i went for them i picked them in particular and i decided you know i'm going to give it one shot and if they turn me down then i'm it's just going to be print and play and from the time i initially sent the first pitch letter to them until it was in stores was almost four years. All right. So yeah, you, you had to have a, a healthy bit of patience there. Yeah. Like I said, I, I had basically decided that if they told me no, then I was done. And so I didn't, we had emails every now and then there was a period of time where there was probably a good 10 months between communication. And then, you know, I heard back and they were like, do you want it back? I'm like, no, you can keep it. I don't, I'm just whatever. You know, <laughs> if 10 years from now you decide you want to publish it, I'm still here. It's cool. You know, it's, I don't get in a hurry. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I mean, that that's kind of, to me, a, a very Chevy-type nature from <laughs> me knowing you. And uh, yeah, and we'll get into a little bit of that as well because... I'm sure. As you're well aware, uh, I was a little surprised by your initial announcement that you're going to do a Kickstarter. Sure. But we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm sure you have questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that's that's kind of cool for those indie designers that like to listen to these particular interviews to know and be aware of that, again, it's not your first game was a published game was not through you had some a publishing background. It wasn't you've done Kickstarters and, and, and gone that sure. route. Yeah. But it wasn't like it was an overnight thing. No, it's it's really not. And with larger publishers like GameRight, it, it's it's a three to four year turnaround. That's just how it is. I don't think badly of anybody who uses Kickstarter as their business model, but there are a lot of a lot of smaller publishers who rely on that income to pay their bills. And, you know, for them, the turnaround time needs to be quick. And so sometimes things get rushed through development. Sometimes things get missed. Uh, with a larger publisher, you know, who's going to order a 20,000 unit order, they can't afford to screw up. And so they just, they want to take their time to get it right the first time. And so it takes time. You know, I have a game sitting with Mayfair right now. They've had it for almost a year now and they, they're telling me, you know, it's probably another three years. Okay. No worries. You know, <laughs> take your time. <laughs> Whatever. This is a question I ask off and on too. And I, Fairly sure I know your answer. Okay. But let's share it with the audience. Let's share it with the listeners. Sure. Where do you fall on wanting to self-publish versus just wanting to design and have other people publish for you? Well, obviously, I'm taking a different direction with this particular project. But for the most part, I, I'm not interested in being a publisher this particular game, there's a, a few unique reasons behind it that I'm actually going to do this, but I'd prefer to spend my energy designing games. And if anybody tells you that Kickstarter is an easy way to get a game published, uh, they're crazy. <laughs> I mean, this is, I, I've spent the last two, two and a half months of my life dedicated to this Kickstarter campaign and getting everything perfect. And I'm still three weeks away and I'm still trying to get stuff done. So this is a lot of energy. And normally during this time of year, I would have already designed like four games. (laughs) And I've done nothing but pull for the last six months, you know, five, six months. This has been it. 
So I prefer to spend all that energy on design and let somebody else deal with the business side of things and the art and the assets and all of that stuff. But this particular project and some of the other things that maybe I'll do in the future are simply because getting them published is is a significant challenge because of theme or because of mechanics, you know, or, or components, it's difficult to find a publisher to work with on it. So maybe, maybe this is the right avenue for this, you know, for this project. You know, there's, there's a ton of things that I, I'm going to try to cover because you, you have a, uh, a full gambit of things that you're involved in that I think sure. people would love to know about, uh, and if sure. they don't already. But first, before we get into hopefully some of that, do you have a set design process for yourself or does it really differ by game? Oh man. As far as like where the design begins, that changes with every single game. You know, some games it's theme, some games it's mechanic, some games it's just random inspiration, some games uh, I just take somebody else's idea and work on it. But once I have a nugget to work on, my process is pretty much the same in that I try to prototype as quickly as possible. Like within the hour of having my initial idea, I prototype. <laughs> and uh, that lets me see, does the core system work? Because if the core system doesn't work, uh, how much time am I willing to spend trying to make the rest of the system work? And so I try to get my base main ideas on paper and in play as quickly as possible so that I can determine if it's, if it's worth pursuing. And at this point, you're just talking about like writing on note cards or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You're not trying to go to the game crafter at this point for your first no, initial prototype. <laughs> I have my, what I call my idea box, which uh, contains basically some blank cards, some some standard game pieces, some markers, stuff like that, so that I can quickly test, you know, the core idea. So let's say I'm going to do a real quick card game that's got maybe 100 cards. I don't need to actually design 100 cards to test the idea. I can design about 20, sit down with those 20 and play around with the system. You know, if it's a numbers, if, you know, if we're attacking and defending, I just need to make sure that system works before I spend the effort to design the other 80 cards. So that's what I'm testing at first. After I have that initial idea nailed out, that's when the real fun design part works, when you're actually designing mechanics and ideas and, and building on on your base. And then it's just playtest and iterate and playtest and iterate, and I change things after every playtest. I'm, I'm not one to just try something 10 times that I don't like and try and you know figure it out. I just like to try things. Do you have dedicated playtest groups that you use? I have a local group that we meet every Wednesday. We have for decades. I trust those guys to really take the first pass. And then after that, there's some local stores I can take stuff to that I'll go to and try and get some initial impressions from just random players. And then there's some internet friends that are always willing to test. And then a lot of times I just ask the public, you know, I don't hold back. I If you go and look at my projects, you can find every version since version one on my website, download it and try it and see how crappy the first version was and then go print the 11th version and see how it improved. You know, uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to put my failures out there and uh, ask people to help. And I get a lot of feedback and a lot of response from that. So, yeah, I got to say that I kind of put you and Daniel Solis in the, in the same category. I think you guys both seem to thrive in an organic community driven design process. It seems like, Absolutely. is that fair to say? Yep. Yep. So it seems like you guys are always, yeah, like you said, you're, you're putting it out there and it's going to sink or swim, but you're going to let people let you know what's sinking and what's swimming and, and sure. work from there. A lot of times it seems like the, the games you guys are working on, it's community effort. These games belong to multiple people with multiple ideas and it's really up to you to kind of filter through them and then you, you craft it into what you had in mind and, and what you think will work and, and won't work, but you, basically get this nice brainstorming session from outside of yourself. Absolutely. So game design for me and Daniel, uh, we do things similarly and that we're doing it all ourselves. And so one thing that I love about game design is I can do it all myself as far as designing the mechanics, designing the physical components, doing the artwork, doing the layout, writing the rules. I get to stretch a whole lot of creative muscles that I don't normally get to stretch in my everyday life. You know, I love to do art. I love to write. I love to design and, and make rules. And, and so but 
any person can be good at one of those things. But to be good at all of those things is basically impossible. I don't have a design team that I can lean on and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So I, I rely on the community. You know, I put myself out there. Tell me what's right. Tell me what's wrong. Let's let's fix it together. Let's make it our project. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I give it away. And, and you know, we've all created it. It's not just mine. So once you get through and get it to a solid place, where do you go for blind play testing then? The internet mostly. With safe search on, Chevy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, with safe search on. Um, it depends on the game. Uh, you know, with, with a card game like this, I can, I can comfortably ask people to print 72 cards and try it. And, uh, I'll get a lot of response from that, which is, makes me feel amazing because, you know, it's, it, when you're first starting out and you're asking people to try your games, you're, you're lucky if you get one person who actually take the effort. When I can ask the community and I get 10 teams of testers signing up to, to try it, that just makes me feel great about what I'm doing. But with a larger game that has, you know, custom components and stuff like that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll ask for help from the community and then I'll find, you know, a few individuals to send copies of the game to and let them test. You know, that's kind of just. I try to pick different people every time because I like to get a bunch of different opinions. But, um, you know, sometimes it's the same people. Sometimes, you know, it's just random strangers. I would love to ask you, uh, when do you know a game is done? But I don't know if you have an answer to that question. I do. I figured out the answer. <laughs> I tweeted about it the other day and I figured out the answer. So I've, I've struggled with that. You know, that's the thing that, that new designers always ask. Like, how do you know when your game's done? And because the truth is, as as a creative person, you there's always something you could change. It, it's never going to be done because you're never going to let it be done. So there's a difference. And 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 I figured out the other day. I've, I now have an answer to this question because somebody pointed out something in my game and said this is flawed because of this. And it was obvious to me that this person had not played the game. They were just commenting based on their read through of the rulebook. And that's actually like insulting me. Like, I'm sorry that you believe that I'm such a terrible designer <laughs> that I didn't catch that. I, I still question it. Well, that's <laughs> wasn't me, <laughs> but no, it wasn't you. So they questioned something and I defended it and I didn't have to make excuses about my defense. It was, it's this way because of this. And that's a darn good reason. And so when I can defend my game, when I can defend it as a product without me having to make excuses, without me having to say, well, I'm, you know, that's just the way it is or whatever. That's when I know it's done. Like I'm done. I can call this my own now. I'm no longer on the fence about anything. Okay. Is it finished? I don't know. <laughs> Come on. I can make changes, but I'm not going to. That's called expansions, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't know how you make expansions for a game like this, but you could. Good. I have a couple ideas. Yeah. Might be stretch goals. Who knows? I I can see some expansions for this. (laughs) Which, we'll get to it, people. We'll get to it. Yeah, we're getting there. (laughs) But before that, and of course, check the show notes as always. I'll have some links. But uh, you have a website, ChevyDodd.com. Correct. Where did you get the... No. (laughs) Where'd you get the name? Oh, yeah, man. I worked on that one for days. (laughs) It's very unique. Going back to your community philosophy, which again... Huge proponent of here. Love it. And that's one of the reasons why I, I'm in and do what I do right. because of the community aspect of everything. You do a lot for the game design community as well. Can you kind of touch on a couple of, th- of those things? I know like you do some tutorials and you've recently kind of started at the Google Hangouts for the something from nothing, right? Yeah. So things like that. You want to touch on those a bit? So like I just mentioned, it's difficult to be good at everything. And I can tell you that I'm not very good at creativity. I've, I've learned that about myself. Every day I am kind of good at creativity. And every now and then I get intensely good at creativity. But I've learned that I can use that kind of good to help other people. And I enjoy that probably more than I enjoy helping myself. In fact, I know I do. I would much rather just help other people. And so if somebody can can say, hey, Chevy, I've got this game and I have this issue and I can help talk them through that, I found I'm pretty good at that. Uh, I'm pretty good at helping people work through problems just based on my 20 years of gaming experience and 15-ish years of industry experience. I can help. And that's a big thing for me. So the Something From Nothing uh, show 
which if you aren't aware is every other Sunday. We have one coming up. I don't know the date this Sunday, but sixth is it? Is it this Sunday? Yeah, it should be the sixth. Yeah, we have a panel of guests and come on the show and talk about what you do. And I started that because at Gen Con we had some really great like roundtable discussions with with designers, and it was just this like man, it was this really awesome community feel to it. Like we're all together in this room helping each other, and I wanted to keep keep doing that. I didn't want it to stop. And so I, I talked to the guys at, at building the game. I'm like, can we do this like regularly? And everybody was like, yeah, dude, sounds awesome. So <laughs> the tutorials, the stuff that I post on my website, I, you know, I take from my personal experience, I write, you know, Hey, this is, this is what to do. And some of it is because I've done it right. And a lot of it is because I've done it wrong. And I've learned a lesson from it that I can help teach somebody else. So I think I actually like that better than I like just doing stuff on my own. One of the cool things too is that some of the tutorials and stuff that you focus on are the free and open source software that's available that anybody can really use and start using as a designer without having to take a big funding chunk or budget chunk to get started, right? Yes, absolutely. I do everything on free and open source software. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's like a, my personal stance, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm giving away, I'm, I'm creating things that I give away and I've, and I enjoy doing that on things that other people have created and given away. And so aside from the computer, the physical hardware that my work purchased for me, um, everything else about what I do is done with free and open source software. From my operating system to the programs that I use to the publishing platforms that I use, it's all free and open source. Yeah, I like to show people that, you know what, you can achieve some pretty amazing results with free software. You don't have to go spend $165 or whatever it costs to buy, you know, Photoshop. Is it a little more work? Yeah, it can be. Yeah, and that's where the tutorials come in. Exactly. <laughs> Watch my tutorials. Yeah, should I be showing off some of those uh, things that have kind of puzzled other people with some of the free software before? So again, ChevyDodd.com and it'll be in the show notes. Some really cool stuff over there. And like I said, I love the fact and one of the things I think that makes it easy for Chevy and I to get along so well is because of that community aspect bond and uh, definitely worth checking out. And again, any anytime you want to, you can usually come over and say hi to us in the Game Crafter chat as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, spend some time there. Speaking of which, you actually have other games that are for sale over at the Game Crafter right now. Yes, three of them. Three, four? I don't know. There's, there's a few. I have to post that as well. So go check those out. There's some good games over there. There's three games, and then I have a set of dominoes that I made on little micro cards. So you can buy those. But now, let's go ahead and uh, let's make the transition. Okay. So, pull is going yes. to be the game that you have coming up on Kickstarter. Correct. So let's hear your high-level pitch for Pull. Pull is a partnership-style card game inspired from classics such as Spades, Whist, and Euchre for two to four players, ages 12 and up, that plays in about 45 minutes. It was designed as a partnership-style game, but you can play it without partners in a setting, you know, as individuals from two to four players. The broad level theme of the game is uh, about trap shooting or shooting clay pigeons. Being that it is inspired by trick-taking games, it doesn't lean heavily on that theme, but it adds a little bit of charm to the experience, I think. I would agree with that. <laughs> so, like a trick-taking game, you're going to have a hand of cards in six suits from one to eight, and uh, on your turn, you're going to play a card. The difference is that instead of players leading tricks, there's a deck of cards that leaves the tricks for you, and there's two out at a time, so you have to play on each one. But you're going to play one card at a time, so you kind of have to pick and choose how you're going to play your two cards to try and win the points for your team. That's the high level. Yeah, that's the high level, and there's some cool things in there, and we can get into some more of the specifics here in a little bit. But you know what? Let's go ahead and uh, talk about the question you know is coming. Okay. So why Kickstarter? <laughs> and before I let you answer that, a little background. Chevy and I have been friends for quite a while, and uh, we've had conversations around Kickstarter and, and game design and every, everything under the sun, really. At some point, some things can't be discussed on the podcast. <laughs> but one of the conversations we, we had a, a while back was 
Chevy's resistance to doing a Kickstarter himself. Not other people doing Kickstarters, but just him being in charge of a Kickstarter and having something that he had to self-publish and stuff like that. I believe at the time it was, I would never put a game up on Kickstarter. So, Chevy, why is Paul coming to Kickstarter? <laughs> yeah, Paul. Uh, so I've had that stance for a few years now. It's just, I don't work well with stress. I tend to become quite a crabby person to be around and my, you know, that's not fair to my family for me to uh to be that way. So I've denounced Kickstarter from the beginning because of the intense focus that it takes to take a project from start to finish. And as an individual doing it all myself, it's even worse. You know, I'm doing one hundred percent aside from, you know, the stuff that I source from from the the crowd, from the community to help me, you know, make things better. I'm doing all the art, all the writing. You know, it's all me. And uh that's a man, that's a big process. But with this game, I felt like I had something a little bit special. And it was born from a crowdsourced idea. I was in a creative lull. I turned to Twitter, said, Hey Twitter, I'm looking to do a quick simple card game. Tweet me some ideas, I'll pick one and go with it. And my initial plan was I wanted to do something that I could sell for about 10 bucks on the Game Crafter. Like, I really thought that's kind of the magic number for really getting people interested was less than $15 on the Game Crafter. And so that was my that was my initial thought. I just want to make something light and simple, a quick print and play, something you can buy for 10 bucks and I won't make any profit. But I'm I don't I'm not concerned about profit. So uh, the idea came directly from a Twitter follower who said, hey, make a make a game about shooting clay pigeons and make it a trick-taking game. And sure, you know, and within probably an hour, I had designed the game. And uh, so the past five months of my life have been spent refining this game, doing the artwork. I've done way more art for this than I've done for anything in the past, like as far as original art. And, you know, like the, the discs on the cards, I actually 3D modeled those so I could pose them and use those for source so I could I, it's just a, it's an intense process. The more I thought about it, I thought, as somebody who puts himself out there, I, I put myself out there 100% of the time. I'm not afraid to tell you when I screw up. I'm not afraid to tell you when I succeed. I'm not afraid of helping you. I get asked a ton of questions about Kickstarter. And the truth of the matter is, I just don't know. I've backed quite a few projects, but I've never done one myself. And it really makes it difficult for me to give you a good answer about the process if I don't know how to do it myself. And so this game gave me the opportunity to say, you know what, I've already put most of the effort into making it look good for a print and play release. So all I really have to do to push it forward is to finalize a design, say it's done, and call it quits, accept it as it is, you know, write the rules and put this campaign together and raise some money so that we can do this. And at the end of the day, I'll be able to answer those questions. I'll be able to write about it and help the community, you know, at large when it's time for them to approach Kickstarter for themselves. So succeed or fail, I'm going to have some pretty good stories to tell. And really, that's what it's about. And then I think we joked about it in chat the other day, but I I really wasn't joking. Uh, Antidepressants. I started taking antidepressants last fall, and I think that's really helped me push this forward. (laughs) Was was that in preparation for doing a Kickstarter? um, You know, maybe. I don't know. I never really thought about it that way. All I know is I'm I'm pretty smooth sailing through this process. <laughs> that would be a new lesson learned for uh, the Kickstarter side of things. Start your antidepressants six months before the Kickstarter. <laughs> One of the things I've been asking lately is, say somebody is going to be checking out the poll Kickstarter page and they're on the fence and they're like, uh, I might. I might be okay with this game. I think this game might be for me, but they're just not quite at the push the pledge button. Uh, what are a couple things that you would tell them about this game that would make them go, yeah, I have to back Paul right now? It's fun is the main thing I would push on you. A lot of people say, man, I just don't like trick-taking games. I just don't like trick-taking games. That's fine, but don't assume that my trick-taking game is a trick-taking game. Uh, because that's that's just honestly not fair. When I designed the game, that was part of my problem for the last six months was I wanted to make a trick-taking game, and I didn't listen to the community who said they wanted a fun game. And so I really pushed myself to let go of the goals that I had in mind, and I made a fun game out of this. So if you, if you don't enjoy trick-taking games, don't assume it's a trick-taking game. 
download it, print it, play it, try it, and you might be surprised. It's got a lot of unique little twists that take out that dry, dull feel of a lot of trick-taking games and spices it up with some intense, fun moments. We will be doing a preview video for the Kickstarter page. And yeah. I have had the opportunity to play Pull a few times. And uh, we've thoroughly And you've been playing the two-player, right? Yes, we've been playing the two-player yes. recently, which we've had a lot of fun awesome. with. Also yeah. allowed me to ask Chevy a few questions and hopefully get some clarification in the rule book, but very minor clarification at best. So uh, it, it yeah. was, I think, nice for us to be able to sit down and play the two-player, especially with somebody like Megan, who's a more casual gamer, because a lot of those questions I had right. for you came from her, so that was helpful. Yes. The fixes have already been implemented. There you go. They're not in the print and play yet. <laughs> and they were very minor at best. Like I said, just very minor clarification that we had kind of debated ourselves into anyway <laughs> as the right way to play. But yes. one of the things I wanted to point out, because you kind of brought it up in somewhat passing, but it, it has been a norm for you in the past. But for the Kickstarter, you are going to be giving away the print and play free, correct? Yes, it's already available, and uh, it'll be available through the campaign and in as long as I can pay for my domain. One thing real quick is that the print and play will be there. You can try out this game if you are on the yes. fence. The other, yes. One of the other things I would like to say is that there are some very unique aspects to this game, like Chevy's kind of alluded to, in the trick taking yeah it's ins like he likes to say inspired by trick taking now yes. which is adequate it, it, it makes sense but you have the two targets out and they're worth a certain amount of points if you get them solo right they're worth a different amount of points if you get both targets right if you or your team if you're playing in a team aspect get both targets they get turned sideways and have a different point value Yep. What does this do to the game a little bit? Here's one of the things that we found it's kind of done to the game. It makes you actually think about your choices a bit from the aspect of, let's say your opponent won the first target, which is going to be 10 points. But if you let them win the second one, yeah, you might, you might be out some points, but you might knock them down because when they're turned sideways, it might only be worth, say, nine or eight or something like that. So that's one of those things you got to kind of take into account as well. Yeah, unlike unlike a traditional trick-taking game, it's not always best to win in this game. Right. <laughs> it's uh you, there's tricks that you want to avoid and there's situations like you just mentioned where it's like, man, if I take this, I could get 5 points, but if I let you take it, you lose 5 points. So, I'm going to go ahead and let you lose 5 points because that's more important to me right now. Right. And on top of that, the other reason that I keep saying it's inspired by is I get a lot of people who hang up when I say it's a trick-taking game, then they want there to be a trump and there's really no Trump in this game. The way that Trump works is completely unlike any game you've ever played. Yes. And so people get confused when I say it's a trick game and they're like, well, what's Trump? Well, there is no Trump, but that doesn't make sense. I want a Trump. Well, I'm sorry. That's not part of this game. <laughs> and uh, so that's another reason why I've avoided the terminology of trick-taking game. Right. Your Trump is the the suit of the target. Yes. And only if the high number is tied. Right. So really it comes down to high number. Trump's win ties. That's it. Yeah. And Trump wins ties. Right. So if you put out a six of the Trump or of the target suit and somebody else puts out a seven of any other suit, the seven's going to take it. The seven wins. Yeah. But if there are two sevens and one of them is the suit of the target, then that trumps. Right. The other thing that's kind of cool too, though, is if there's a tie and neither one of them is the Trump, that target gets discarded. It's another yes. thing to keep in mind while you're yes. looking at who gets these points and who doesn't, or do we just discard this target altogether? Yes. So there's a lot of those. And again, we're talking about, and I'm trying to help kind of push the point that Chevy's trying to make is there are a lot of little strategic decisions that you have to make along the way that pushes this well above what you would normally do in a Trump uh, versus, uh, you know, in a, a, a trick taking game where it's versus, do I play my high card, high card now or toss out my low ones or get rid of this suit altogether so I can start playing trumps? That kind of stuff is taken out. Here it's like, you know, again, there's, there's multiple ways for the targets to score. There's ways to discard a card. There's ways to potentially kind of trump something if you can tie and, and match the target. There's the fact that if you win the animals, 
Uh, they're typically worth negative points, but that's kind of like your sandbag thing where if you get five of those, if you've collected five animals, you're going to go back 20 points. So there's a lot of little things you got to keep in mind. And that was one of the things, especially like one of the last times that Megan and I played, we were really playing cutthroat when it came down to trying to stick the other per- person with animals and stuff like that. And it was a, a lot of fun. Yeah, that could be really fun. I love those moments. <laughs> yeah, it was it, there. There were a lot of we didn't argue, but we might not have talked for a little while afterwards. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've we, done my job. <laughs> yeah, we had a blast with it. Awesome. And especially towards the end when it kept coming, because we kept hitting those. It's almost over, but then the fifth animal rears its ugly head, yes. and, and I got stuck with it. And at one point, like I went through one round and stuck her with three animals from that round. Oh. I was like, I've done my job. <laughs> We're good. Let's keep That's playing. Awesome. So, you know, there was just a lots of little things, but Chevy's right in that, you know, this is, it's inspired by trick taking, but there is a fair amount of meat for your strategic gamers that might want to play it. And then there's enough familiar aspects for people like, like Megan, my fiance comes from a very card driven family. They play a lot of card games. They play a lot of hearts and stuff like that. And this was very familiar to her. So she liked that. But then she also would comment on the strategic elements as we went along. So it, it drew her into that as well. Excellent. You got a good one on your hands. I already told you that. I told you it was a, a hit here at the house. So. <laughs> We'll Yay. be doing the review soon, but spoiler alert, <laughs> we like it. <laughs> Yay. So when are you uh, looking at launching Pull? The current plan date is the 21st of April this month, and I'm going to run it for, I believe it's 28 days. I think I'm going to end it on the 19th, I believe, maybe the 20th, something like that, a Monday or Tuesday in May. I haven't decided quite when. All right. So we're looking at April 21st, 2014 is yes. the current target for launch. Yes. And then running for just shy of 30 days. Yes. And what are you going to be looking for for a funding goal? The funding goal is 5000 Okay. That'll allow me to print enough that I'm not going to make... If I just break even, I'm, there'll basically be no profit in it at all. So I'm letting the community decide <laughs> again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Are we going to let Chevy, uh, Chevy take anything home from this or not? Because, and honestly, that's not my goal uh, at all. So it is what it is. But if, hey, if the community says, Chevy, you need to be a publisher and we're going to buy, you know, 2,000 copies of this game right now, then you know what? I'm going to be a publisher and I'm going <laughs> to do a massive print run and go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and force it down people's throats. You know, that's <laughs> and like you just mentioned, you played the game and I, you're a reviewer and I sent you a review copy and I made changes based on your feedback to, to clarify the rules. You know, until the day I hit that order button, if the community says, throw this part out, let's do this, I'm down. I Okay, let's go for it. You know, this is our game. Let's make it. That's just how it's going to be. I'd like to say that I've finalized the rules, the, the broad, this is how the game is played. But if, if we can make a better rule book, if we can make it word better and read better, hey, I'm all about it. Let's change it. How much are you looking for for a copy of the game? U.S.-based pledge level will be $16. And then I have... Separate pledge levels for Canada and international backers. I kind of, I'm splitting it. I'm not doing the standard. Here's the pledge level and everybody else add 10 bucks. It's, it's awkward. <laughs> uh, Canada, you know, the, the truth of the matter is it's cheap. It's cheaper to ship to Canada. I'm mm-hmm. sorry for everybody in the EU or Asia. It's just that that's the fact. And so I'm not going to make the Canadian backers pay more. It's just. It's weird. So instead, I'm, I'm, so what I'm doing is I've got a $16 pledge level for U.S. backers. 22, I believe, is the pledge level for Canadian and 28 will be the international pledge level. And then I have a like deluxe version. I still, the price for that I'm undecided on. And that's going to be the one where you're making the, the boxes, correct? Yes. I, I think I've decided that I'm going to let a company do the um, they're gonna flat pack me basically like pre-cut boxes and I'll assemble and finish them hand finish them okay. because I, I originally was going to completely hand make them which would mean I could only really realistically do like ten or fifteen for yeah I, I remember it was kind of a, a low number to begin with because you were at the time yeah. you were actually still working on it and I think you showed a few pictures of early boxes that you had been working on. 
yeah, I designed quite a few prototypes, and I like them, but the realistic amount of time I could put into these, 10 or 15 is going to be my max, or else I'm going to be making boxes through the summer, and it's just, and I've already had 10 or 15 people say, I'm buying it day one, and I really want to give people the opportunity to get these. And so I've talked with my friends, Christopher Yurenko from Daft Concepts, okay. who, who, uh, we've, we've worked on a box design together. He has a brand new laser that he just got in this week, actually, that can cut three eighths inch. So it'd be a sturdier box than what he normally does. And then, uh, laser engrave the lid and everything. I think it's going to be a better quality box when it's all said and done. And I can offer a scalable amount. So, uh, you know, the initial, I think I'm going to offer 50 of them. And if they sell out, I'll probably offer more. Like, there's no reason for me not to at that point. And I, I want to point out, like, again, I've, I've known Chevy forever. So when he starts talking about he's not in it for the profit and he just wants his game out there and, and he'll let the community decide, he really truly means that. Absolutely. <laughs> this is, uh, this is basically uh, the way I've always known Chevy to operate. <laughs> Yeah, and again, you know, one of the many reasons why I'm friends with him and, and, uh, and enjoy having conversations like this with him when I get a chance to. Absolutely, you know, and the potential if we get to the stretch goals, yes, I'm going to. There's going to be some leftover money from all of this, but the chances are it'll all just get put right back into my company. I have other projects that I'd like to produce, not on Kickstarter. That having that extra money will only make do more of that. We're getting close here on time. Yep. One of the questions I like to ask, and obviously you haven't launched yet, but you've done work leading up to it. So what lessons have you learned about the Kickstarter process so far? Uh, this is, uh, <laughs> Those noises? Yeah, you know, whatever. It is so much work. But I think today I gave some advice to a person in the GameCrafter chat who was just expecting to launch, and that's going to be the rocket that sets his company in motion and like who are you like nobody's ever heard of you you know the lesson that i've learned is if kickstarter is not a marketing tool you are your own marketing tool and you can't put something on kickstarter and expect it to just immediately become you know an overnight success uh, without you putting forth the effort it's just not going to happen and the cool part about that is there's a lot of people like me on the internet who are more than willing to help project creators get, uh, you know, put together a better page, put together a better campaign and help them promote their projects without charging you a dime, you know? <laughs> so, uh, get your business license, get your bank account set up, get your Amazon account set up, get the Kickstarter account set up, you know, put everything in order. When I did mine, I went with a business checking account which is a completely different process with Amazon than having a personal checking account. So I had to fax yes. bank statements. And I mean, it's just like all this stuff you didn't think about. But the really the biggest lesson is you have to learn how to promote yourself and you have to learn how to ask for help. And there are hundreds of people who are willing to help you. You just got to ask. Don't put it on Kickstarter and then ask later. It's just not going to work. That's one of those things that I've been preaching <laughs> forever is that Kickstarter is not your marketing. It's a small piece once you're there, yeah, but the primary marketing happens well before you launch. <laughs> yeah. You need to be worried about that and doing that. You've heard, you've seen me. It's like, where, you know, where's your preview page? Why isn't it already being shared all over the place? And, and, you exactly. know, just all those kind of things. But, you know, there's also, uh, I, I just got to say, Chevy, there's, there's nothing wrong with people needing to pay for a little extra help every once in a while either. I'm just saying, uh, you know, yeah. as a, as a, as a Kickstarter consultant. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, for, for the free and open source help, uh, <laughs> come on over to the game crafter chat and ask Jeff a question. Yeah, come to the Game Crafter chat and ask Jeff. And if you haven't done it yet, you a must do before launch is to read all 273 parts or however many there are of Jamie Stagmeyer's yes. blog. If you haven't done that and you hit the launch button, I will personally show up at your house and smack you. <laughs> yes, another resource that we uh, share all the time as well. Yeah, over at StoneMeyerGames.com. Definitely Absolutely. a great resource. JamesMathy.com is not a bad one either. James Matthew's yeah, blog. James does good stuff. He, he's got a, a good, I, I think between the two of them, because it's not 100% cookie cutter, but there's a lot that you can take out of there. And I would say, I mean, th at least a good 80, 85% you should be doing that. That is kind of cookie cutter. Absolutely. And that other 15%. 
it'll at least give you a template for your yep. type of project. Uh, yep. So yeah, those guys, and of course, you know, uh, Richard Bliss funding the dream, listening, yeah, listening to, that, listen to that, you know, uh, the game of crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so there, there is a lot of stuff out there that will assist. And over on the Game Crafter chat, I mean, we're serious. There's a bunch of us sitting over there, uh, off and on. And if you catch the right people at the right time, including myself, uh, I am always more than happy to do a quick run through of anybody's page for nothing. I mean, I, it, it will be a quick run through. It's not going to be the more detailed stuff that I do with people that uh, I actually have, you know, calls and, and get on Skype with and whatnot. But I am more than happy to go through a page and go, all right, here's off the top of my head. Here's three things that I see that could be a trouble spot for you. Yep. So, all right, man. Well, I think we're kind of hitting the end of our time here. So again, we just want to point out poll is going to be on Kickstarter April 21st, 2014, running for about 28 days. Chevy's going to be looking for $5,000 and $16 in the U.S. will get you the game. Definitely check it out when uh, it's available. Chevy, uh, I would love it if you could email me the uh, preview page again, and I will include that in the show notes for now. Yes. And uh, again, for everybody to uh, remember, preview links, uh, you can go check them out. You can give Chevy some feedback before the launch, but preview links also have a notify me on launch uh, that you can click and you will know right when Chevy pushes the button for this to go live. All right, man. Thank you know what? Thanks for hanging out with me. Seriously, thanks for having me. <laughs> we have conversations off and on online, but we don't get a, a chance to actually just have this kind of a conversation too often. And it's been a lot of fun, man. I, I, I'm glad you you uh, agreed to come on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us again. And I will be bringing you another interview very soon. So take care. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Two Bald Geeks, a podcast by two bald horror movie fans that dissect one horror movie a month, saving the spoilers for last. The GeekCast Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at geekcastnetwork.com.